0: All right, welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Katie Scheid, a professional trail runner for the North Face, following her win at this year's Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Kodiak Cakes and Gnarly Nutrition. Use code singletrack15 at checkout on Kodiak's website to get 15% off your next order there. And use code singletrack20 on Gnarly's website to get 20% off your next order there as well. With that, let's begin. All right, Katie Scheid, it's great to have you on the Single Track podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I don't want to bury the lead. We should celebrate your UTMB win here off the bat. I do want to cover a couple other topics in our conversation, but but let's talk about UTMB first. How are you feeling about a week removed from the race?
1: Um, I actually feel a lot better than I expected. In the past, I've just been like completely knocked out for, for a long time after the race. After, actually, after other races too, but more notably UTMB. And this time I... Yeah, maybe it's kind of the high of of the result that helps. Also the fact that I was racing for four less hours than past years, but I definitely yeah. feel a lot like fresher and with with a bit more energy than normal.
0: Right on. Well, huge kudos to you. And I, and we will, I promise, go into depth about what the day looked like and how you achieved victory and whatnot. But um, you know, I've been aware of of your time on the scene now for a while. And there's always a, there's been a bunch of questions I've always wanted to ask you. And, uh, I guess the first is, you know, we've been talking recently about Jim Walmsley making this big move over to France to fully invest in, in UTMB and the Euro racing scene. But before there was Jim Walmsley, there was you, like you made the investment to move over there five or six years ago. You've been based there ever since. And, uh, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about what the experience has been like so far and, whether or not you feel settled in and I mean you are still technically an American so I'm wondering also if like we'll ever see you move back stateside.
1: Yeah I should actually clarify that um, Hilary Girardi was actually here before me so I I was maybe second on the scene Um, but yeah I moved to Zurich uh, Switzerland in 2016 to begin a PhD in geology so it really was not um, motivated by running at all. Of course I love the outdoors and in the mountains so the draw to go to Zurich as opposed to somewhere else was certainly a bit stronger (laughs) so um, when I showed up there I I yeah I got in touch with Hilary Girardi as I mentioned who um, went to the same college as me and we had a bunch of mutual friends and she kind of dragged me into coming to um, a trail like two different trail races and that's when I met my now partner Jamal who's French. And yeah, at the time I was, yeah, I wasn't really like totally motivated by competition or anything. It was more uh, like a fun thing that gave me some, yeah, some goals like for, for getting out of bed a bit earlier in the morning before work to go for a run, but it wasn't (laughs) definitely not the same level as now. I mean, I'm forgetting the other part of your question, but (laughs) that's, that's kind of the beginning of everything.
0: Well, I think I'm curious, uh, just given that you've been over there the past five or six years, you you know, there's a lot of uh, just investments that you have over there. Do you ever see yourself moving back stateside and being a mountain runner and a skier, like back in your home area of like New Hampshire and Maine or out west, anywhere like that?
1: I would say the idea of moving to the United States is not, um, it's not closed to like, Jamal, my partner also loves the U.S., so we have no reservations about, like, maybe coming back for a year or two or more. I don't know. I'm not sure I could live on the East Coast <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> it's just a bit uh, tougher lifestyle <laughs> with the weather and the, the terrain. And, yeah, I, I love visiting the East Coast. And I really appreciate those trails and mountains because it's what, like, kind of formed me. But I don't think I could do East Coast winters again.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because we've had a couple episodes. We've had people like Andrew Drummond on the podcast before, and um, I, I grew up in Maine. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm I'm based in Salt Lake City now, but I'm a big fan of that area and like the Whites and the Appalachian Trail. And so I'm just laughing because we've spent a couple episodes trying to like see what we can do to like prop it up, and uh, you're just like, oh, I couldn't move back there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think once you have already lived in the West, like if once you've lived, I'm also from Maine and also lived in Salt Lake. So once you've already got the taste of like more Western U.S. lifestyle, it's uh, I think it'd be really hard to go back to like scraping the ice off the car every morning. <laughs> it's, it's different.
0: This is definitely it's just not that like cold that
1: permeates you. yeah but all those people who live on the east coast you're really badass for everything you do i andrew drummond especially is i don't know how he motivates to do a lot of that stuff
0: seriously hats off to him um well cool the the next thing i want to talk about so you you had a change in sponsor this year you for a long time were with on running and i believe you just made the change to the north face and so i think uh you know we talk a lot on this podcast about sponsorship and you know, athletes making a living out of the sport. So can you talk a bit about what prompted that change and what you like about working with North Face?
1: Yeah, so uh, we were with ON starting in 2018, I guess. So it was just over three years and we were kind of looking for a change for um, a brand that better matched our lifestyle in general because we do live in the mountains and we practice other mountain sports than just purely running. So the North Face seemed to be like just a logical fit in terms of like covering us the whole year. Mm-hmm. Like we're, um Jarman and I are both uh, skiing all winter. We ski from the house. Uh, we, yeah, we do other sports. So it just matched kind of our lifestyle and our own interest better. And we we're also looking for um, a brand that was more rooted in like trail running specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with a few more people around that we could like share training and ideas and um be at races with so uh on that side like the north face has just been really wonderful to join um we're on the more on the eu side of things but we do obviously interact with the american team too so yeah it's just been a, a great start to the year um meeting everyone and we already feel like totally totally part of the family
0: that's really cool that they take a holistic view of the athlete and they don't just stop at at trail running they care about other sports in the space so like with you given how much you've been investing in schema recently are they equally as excited about what you do in the winter as you are doing with like preparation for UTMB and stuff like that
1: I'm not sure equally because we are primarily trail runners but I think it does just make sense for a brand that is in both of those spaces to have athletes that also like kind of roll over into other areas. Of course they have like really talented skiers who they can lean on for, for um, good, like (laughs) real extreme Alpine skiing. Um, But yeah, I think it's nice to kind of not stop, not call like half of the year our, our like athletic year, but, but it's the whole year.
0: Right on. Other thing I want to talk about before we get into UTMB. Uh, it sounds like you started working with Jason Coop this year, who is a well-known ultra running coach, not just in America, but really across the world. And I guess I'm curious how that relationship got kicked off and like, were you being coached before this or were you self-coached? So maybe just take that wherever you want and just talk about how, uh, how that all came to be.
1: Yeah. Um let's see so i first started like kind of structured training in 2016 and that was actually um, from my partner Jarmal, uh which like worked pretty well actually because we weren't living together so he had like a good hold on when i was tired and when i had time and which weekends i had more time for things and which weekdays i wasn't in the lab all day and yeah things like that so i think it was a good start to um structured training and after that I took the same coach as Jamal who had been coaching him and uh he came more from triathlon and I think that was really good for me at the beginning because I was doing a lot on the bike and not running a ton I mean obviously you still have to run quite a bit but uh yeah it was more spread out across other sports and I think that could be part of why I was able to stay healthy for so long Um, but this, let's see, like last summer, I was just looking for a change. I'd kind of been following a similar training plan for a while and my coach was French. So he, he spoke English, but it just, there's kind of a difference of when you can, like when I speak with Americans, I don't feel like I have to filter myself at all. I can say whatever I want. I know they understand like phrases and slang and, Mm. um, yeah, just more like feelings and words. And I just, yeah, I've i I'd been following um, Coop's podcast for a while and I'd read his book. Uh, and then I kind of figured out who some of his athletes were and was really impressed, um, especially Abby Hall. Like yes, she's had such like a steady and impressive progression over the past years. And that's something that I look for more than like one awesome result because that really shows like a long-term like success in long-term coaching. So I reached out to Coop in, I think, November or December. And um, yeah, he said he could take me on. So I, yeah, I, I've been super happy working with him. He's really like, even, I knew he was a good coach, but he's been like even better than I expected. So
0: I think one of the things that stood out to me, and I, I was in Chamonix, um, spectating the race and crewing a couple of runners myself. And I saw a number of CTS coaches, including Coop, and I actually had a chance to talk briefly with John Fitzgerald, I believe at the Cormier Aid Station, and it it just impressed me that not only are they coaching you on a day-to-day basis, but they're willing to travel with you on site to races, to be there, and to even go so far as crew. That, to me, seems like truly a next-level step in our sport in the athlete-coach relationship, and I'm wondering how you feel about that.
1: Yeah. I think the whole coaching organization is really professional and I think it's something that the sport needs a little bit more of. And I think we're going to see that growing in the next years as, as the sport grows. But yeah, it's, for me, it's just great to just feel like really confident and know that they take it as seriously as, as I do.
0: Right on. A couple things I want to touch on in your training and the lead up to UTMB. The first is I know you've been skiing quite a bit ever since you got to Europe, but, um, I was reading that article that Coop wrote on your UTMB performance and he talks about sort of like a renewed investment there and not just skiing, looking for an effect on running, but like really getting involved in it, like, like getting onto the racing scene. Can you talk about how that sort of doubling down on SkiMo, uh, ended up helping, uh, for your summer racing season here?
1: Yeah. I actually first started like ski touring in when I lived in Salt Lake. Um, but a uh, very different style than <laughs> they ski here. So when I moved to, yeah, I moved to Zurich and then was first um, visiting Germain in the south of France where we now live, um, he was always on skimo skis. And because we're the same shoe size, um, I was always on the, I would fly to Nice to visit him um, for like a week at a time and I didn't bring, like, I wouldn't fly with anything. I would just show up and then wear his SkiMo gear and he would wear his, like, more heavier ski touring gear. So since, I don't know, I guess that was, like, 2017. Since 2016, 2017, I've been skiing almost exclusively on SkiMo skis, which is um, quite interesting. (laughs) Uh, It's not really the same style as as skiing, like, a, a wider ski but anyway yeah I've been practicing schemo for uh yeah since then so I guess five years and and yeah this year we had always done some racing but never that seriously and usually just like one or two races and um we actually did the pyramid together one year which um they don't even rank mixed teams they just rank you with the men's team so it's you really have to be self-motivated because you're, it's, yeah, you're kind of in your own category alone. So yeah, that, that was pretty fun though, because Jamal um, pulled me on the elastic on all the climbs and then waited (laughs) for me on all of the descents. But yeah, so this year we said, okay, it would be really interesting to do like a real schema season. Um, And I got, I was able to get in touch with the USA schema folks and, um was able to go to some world cups which is obviously easier for me because i'm already here um yeah so we honestly picked the worst winter to do it because it almost it snowed it's like the worst snow year we've ever had here mm-hmm. since i've lived here at least um but so we did a lot in the resort and um, yeah, when I first talked to Coop about it in December, yeah, it was right after I, um, right after i had, like we had agreed, like, okay, let's um, let's work together. It's like, okay, by the way, I want to do um, a full schema race season, <laughs> and I uh, wasn't sure what was <laughs> if he was like really okay with that, if he thought it could work, but clearly, like, he it in stride because i told him that's what i wanted to do so i was doing very little running i did i skied in two world cups i did two partner races um a bunch of other smaller races and slowly transitioned back to running in uh, right after the pyramid so in the end of march um and yeah it seemed to work out okay this year i think It helps that I had so much running experience before. I don't think if I was new to running and then spent the whole winter not running uh, and then tried to come back to it, I don't think the transition would have been as smooth, but it did take me uh, a good month or more to feel more like a runner again. It, It did take a while.
0: One more thing that I am curious about on the training front and you'll have to correct me on the exact dates here, but I believe you raced in one, the Val hundred K roughly six weeks before UTMB. And again, I'm not, I don't have a lot of training wisdom or knowledge, but conventional wisdom would tell me that is, that's a pretty long distance race to do that close to the race. So can you talk about what went into that decision-making process and any of the the training benefits you're expecting to get and, I guess also if you'd be recovered in time for UTMB, I mean, clearly you were cause you won the race, but, um, I think it's a really interesting decision.
1: I had never thought it was that close to UTMB. Um, it's, it's a hundred K so it doesn't go. And then it doesn't like start or end in the night. I didn't use a headlamp the whole thing. The whole race it was yeah. 13 hours. It was, I think seven weeks before UTMB. So there was still, for me, it was, there was still plenty of time, um, I'd done. Let's see. Last year I'd done Lavaredo, which I think was just one week. It would have given me one more week. But that's a yeah. common. It's really common to see someone doing like a hundred k around that time, either the ninety k Du Mont Blanc or Lavaredo, or, um, yeah. I, I wouldn't have done. I mean, I'm more impressed by people who did like Western States and then came and did Utah. I don't think I could or would want to do that. But I think when you're not running through the night, it also changes uh, some of the fatigue.
0: Well, let's talk about UTMB here. You've, uh, you're well experienced at this event. I believe you had a podium at CCC a couple of years ago. You've had two top tens at UTMB. You've had a sixth and I think an eighth place finish. So by all measures, you've had a lot of success here. Um, so maybe talk about the motivation for returning this time around. What did you have left to achieve in your mind?
1: Yeah, um in 2018 I was I had a really great race at CCC especially considering kind of how relatively new I was to the sport. Um and then I just really wanted to to do UTMB and like yeah, have have that UTMB experience. I think the first time I did it in 2019 was too soon. I wasn't really ready for that distance or that amount of um competition or pressure like all this energy that's around the race Uh, and then of course there was the covid year and then uh, last year i just had a a pretty bad experience i think partly because i was really sick the week before the race i wasn't even sure i was gonna start um and so this year i really just wanted to like (laughs) kind of have a small revenge like i just really wanted to have a satisfactory race, even if it it really wasn't about the like finishing place. It was really just about like, I know that I can run a faster time on this course. I know that I can, um, just have a better experience and performance in general uh, Mm. for me. And that's what brought me back.
0: I thought that this was an unusual year of UTMB. I know last year was closer to the source of the pandemic, but I feel like everyone was masked up and, uh, like freshly vaccinated this time around, it was a little bit more lax. And we saw a lot of athletes go down with COVID like days or hours before the event, like Tim Tollefson, Sabrina Stanley, Avery Collins. I I think your partner may have also had COVID. So I'm curious, how did you deal with a stressor like that so close to the event? And uh, how do you get to the line feeling confident in a scenario like that, where you're dealing with something that is essentially out of your control?
1: Yeah, we had been super, super cautious, like the month before we were staying in um, Isla 2000, which is a ski resort uh, here, and saw almost nobody for a month, except when I went to Chamonix to run on the course for a few days. And even then, I made a huge effort not to stay in any hostels or bunk rooms. I like yeah. was only eating outside. I was like extra careful and um yeah then we came to utmb week and it turned out that somebody staying with us had uh been a a contact case and they tested positive on thursday morning uh the race started friday evening and as soon as i learned that like coop went into uh overdrive help mode and got me tested uh and then helped me move into the house where he was staying with the cts group so i like exited the scene immediately and that's i think what i think that really is what saved me in the end um unfortunately my partner did get covid he wasn't they had not told me he had had like some symptoms where he thought maybe he was sick, but he didn't tell me because he didn't want me to like overly freak out mm. <laughs> and that have that affect my race. So I think I appreciate that they kind of withheld some information from me so that I could leave them and, and be more confident though. I did. Um, I was taking my temperature like (laughs) a few hours before the start because I was thinking, Oh, I must have a fever, but I did not. If anything, my body temperature was too low. So it was fine. But yeah, it's definitely, uh, it was very stressful on Thursday. Um, and maybe it gave me a small distraction actually from the stress of the, of the race, because that's all I was focused on was like, what do I do? Where should I go? How do I know if I'm sick and yeah, what, what to do next.
0: Getting into the X's and O's of the race just a little bit. I I know you mentioned in other pre and post-race interviews that uh, you had some goal splits in mind. I want to say it was somewhere around the 25 hour finish mark, which would have been an improvement on previous years, but you kind of blew those out of the water and for the vast majority of the race you were leading. So I'm curious Like, where does your mind go when you're having that kind of day on really the mountain running world's biggest stage? Like, is that something in retrospect that you felt comfortable with and and it felt like a normal day out there? Or are you somebody that when you're in that position, like you, you're working to really maintain stress and you like running with people. So I'm curious, uh, really from like a mindset standpoint, what that whole experience felt like.
1: Yeah, right from the start, I could tell that I felt good and that I felt better than in past years in the same places. And I saw I was running with guys who maybe I, like, quote unquote, shouldn't be running with. So it's like, maybe I need to take a little check here because this could be too fast. But yeah, I've said to other people, my like, before I was on the start line, I was thinking to myself like okay I'm just I just want to run by feel and have no regrets and if I feel good like take that opportunity of feeling good to run faster and then just like accept the moments when I don't feel as good and need to go slower so yeah I I did start on the fast side I'll admit Um, but it's because I felt good and I think it actually it, I think it helped me quite a bit because I, in the past, I've run with other girls and I really do like running with other girls, especially at UTMB because it's just getting to the finish line is already just such a big accomplishment. It's nice to kind of share some of that like, pre-race stress with everyone and just feel supported. Um, but I think because I was running more or less al- like alone, I could really choose exactly the pace that I wanted to go in which places and make those decisions on my own. Um, And that was, that was pretty nice. I could tell that I was having, I obviously knew I felt a lot better than in past years. So I knew that I could improve my time, of course, like, (laughs) yeah.
0: Well, from a spectating standpoint, I think one of the most impressive aspects of your race was that you temporarily lost the lead Rel- relatively like late, at least in the second half of the race, I think, but you had the strength to keep fighting and regain it. And I think one of the questions I have here, because I think it applies to anybody listening, what were some of the stri- like mental strategies that you deployed to, uh, to handle that adversity and to maintain confidence and, and to put yourself back in that position to, uh, to do what you did, which is, which is to regain it and ultimately win the race.
1: I'll admit like when Marianne passed me at the Colferay, which is around hundred K, I think um, I was not thinking like, oh, I need to hold it together and try to catch her again. I was thinking, okay, she's totally gone. I'm not going to catch her, but there's still a whole bunch of girls behind me. So if I want to maintain this position, I need to keep moving. Um, But um, yeah, I've said, I've said in other (laughs) interviews that my, my goal really was to finish in the daylight, which would put my times in like kind of a zone that I wanted to finish in, Um, so without a headlamp. And when I was going down the Colferet and just feeling absolutely horrible and knowing that Marianne was taking a ton of time on me because I kept getting updates and every time I would see a new person, they would like, it would be like two minutes or three minutes more than the last person. I was like, oh geez, like she is flying. So I kind of was like, okay, forget about that. She's having the day of her life. So I, I'm never going to get her again, but I can still finish in the daylight. Like I have this huge margin on, on my times. And I knew that I was way ahead of schedule. So like, even if I'm just going super slow, walk the end, I can still reach this goal that I set for myself. And that's just what I was repeating in my head going down, uh, goal And then I finally got to Lefouli, saw a ton of people I knew, was able to get some real food in, and that all just kind of like flipped. And I felt back to normal, like normal. Like you just ran like over 100K, but (laughs) like relatively normal. Again, it it could run and, yeah, maintain some a little bit
0: more speed. Fast forwarding a little bit to like immediately post-race, I think I've always been curious when you – win a race like that. And for those that are familiar with Chamonix and and what that finish line looks like, it's totally electric. Um, you feel like you just won, you know, the Boston marathon or any of these other running races across the world that just have these huge followings and fans from like start to finish. What does the ensuing like two, three, four, five hours after the race look like for you? Like, are you still being like flooded with fan requests and media people and Uh, sponsors and stuff like that or what did that whole scene look like for you after you crossed the finish line and did your you know celebration right on the on the course
1: yeah it was a little bit like surreal because I just didn't even know how to react or like what to do because there was tons of people that I like knew on on the sides and I didn't I really wanted to get the end to sit down but I wanted to like see people but eventually I like got to the finish line and then it turns out that like all the people that I really wanted to see like my closer friends were kind of behind this barrier in the corner so I couldn't even easily access them and then actually a bunch of my close friends are were photographers who are following me so they were all sitting there taking photos I was like can I go hug them I'm gonna ruin their photo (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did see like Jamal's parents at the very, very end of the, like of the crowd. So I was able to go see them, but yeah, right after it was just a lot of interviews, uh, well not, yeah, some like short statements and then a lot of people asking for selfies. Um, but I was, (laughs) I was a little concerned because in past years I've always passed out at the finish line. And I was kind of worried, like, okay, I'm going to pass out at some point. So I need to be somewhere safe when this happens. (laughs) But I think I had a bit more, like, adrenaline or more. Yeah, somehow I didn't pass out immediately after this year. Um, But the North Face had a cafe that was just reserved for, like, the North Face team. That was right next to the finish line. So I was able to kind of get out of the... (laughs) craziness and go there and have some pizza and that's when I started to feel like I needed to pass out so then I went and laid down in a bed that they had there for a little while um but yeah nothing that crazy happened uh they drove me home and I ate some white rice and called my mom and went to bed because I was still staying separately from like all the people I traveled to Chamonix with because of the COVID incident so it was actually pretty um yeah not that interesting
0: (laughs) it's funny i can as a fan and again someone that was also crewing some runners out there uh at the finish line it might have it must have been new this year but they put these like vip sections uh right up against the finish line yeah
1: it was super annoying
0: um yeah so i i had that situation too yeah because normally
1: like your family can stand there
0: yeah it was it was tough (laughs) um Okay. Another thing I think inquiring minds want to know because uh, one of the cool things about UTMB is that I think starting last year, it became a golden ticket race. And uh, if you want it, you have a ticket to Western States next year. So, um, and I think you have a two week window to decide on it. So um, I think we're like a week, week removed. Have you made any decisions yet on whether you're going to take that ticket?
1: Yeah, I'm taking it.
0: Maybe go into detail about that. Like, has that something that's been on your bucket list for a while? And uh, talk about maybe just like what you would do for that race now that you know you're in.
1: Yeah, it's, it's of course, been on my list for a while. I mean, if I was prioritizing UTMB because I just really wanted to have a final, like, good race. And I knew if I had a good race at UTMB, I would have a good shot at getting a ticket. Um, because Marianne already, I knew Marianne would probably be in the in the top girls anyway and I knew she already had one. So I knew there were some people who could be in the front who already had tickets so that it would probably get passed down. Um but yeah, I it's been on the bucket list. It's honestly a bit like I really, really want to do it. I'm also really concerned about skiing (laughs) and western states. That's the biggest concern. Mm. Um because it's hard for me to like give up a whole winter of skiing. And I know it's something that I need to seriously consider if I want to show up there with my best shape, because I'm not, I would say that you like a course like UTMB or a more technical course, more like Valderon is suits me much better. I I really like hiking. I like, you know, pushing with my arms. Uh, I like technical descents. Um, Running flat level things is not my like strongest suit, um so I know that I need to put a lot of work towards that.
0: Wow. So are you? So if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, like in order to f- truly fully prepare for a great day at Western States, you you think you need to just exit the ski season next year and like start really training in earnest, like? in January or February, as opposed to like recent years where you can kind of kickstart your running season and
1: not necessarily totally exit, but reconsider how much emphasis I put on skiing and how much I put on running. Um, Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. I need to, it's something I need to talk to Coop about (laughs) and get some ideas maybe from other athletes and their experiences with skiing.
0: It's exciting though. I, um, I'm super stoked that you're lining up for Western States next year. And uh, I guess one more thing you mentioned final good race at UTMB uh, in that response. So um, I guess at this point in time, following a win there, I think you ran, was it the second fastest time ever? Are are you satisfied with everything you've done at UTMB? Like, do you just kind of close the book there, close that chapter or um, just given the nature of it, could you see yourself going back um, maybe after a go at Western States or do you invest in Western States the same way that you invested in UTMB?
1: I think, yeah, for now I will not be back at UTMB in the near future. I have so many, like I have this just super long list of things like projects and races that I want to do and I would prefer to con- like continue pursuing new things than to like continue going back to the same race every year unless there's a reason like i want i see a place that i can improve um i would say it's not done with utmb i mean maybe in a few years i'll i'll decide that i want to go back um but for now like the next couple years no i i'll probably be there supporting people but i won't be racing
0: hmm Well, Katie, it's been awesome to chat. I just have one last question for you here. Again, I think it was in your post-race interview with I Run Far. Uh, It was either Brian or Megan. They asked you how you balanced uh, doing your recent PhD in geology and obviously your commitment to our sport. Now that you've finished that PhD and simultaneously won UTMB, what's next for you? Like, do you, do you invest in more in our sport from like a full-time standpoint or do you pursue a career in and around geology? Can you talk about that?
1: Um, I've more or less been a professional athlete for the last three years um, and was kind of just uh, grinding away at the PhD on the side. So I don't want to paint any illusions that I was like full-time student. I was definitely, as I said before, I was prioritizing running. So um, yeah I've been a professional athlete for a few years now and I plan to continue that it was more that the PhD was something that I started and um, I had a really great team of, of supervisors and also fellow students that were all working on the same project and I felt compelled to not let them down and yeah just like the feeling of finishing things that I start <laughs> and like races also <laughs> and so I was just really happy to get it To, yeah, to like kind of close that chapter firmly and say goodbye to academia. Um, I still love earth science and it's something that I like, that is part of my everyday life. Also, jean is is a geological engineer, like in training also. So, yeah, earth science will always be part of my life, but not professionally, at least in the near future.
0: Is there any racing left on the calendar this year, or are you shutting things down until ski season starts?
1: Yeah, no races uh, for me this year. I'm crewing a few races, um, and maybe when I'm home in November, I'll find a turkey trot, but otherwise, uh, no.
0: <laughs> right on. Portland, Maine has a pretty good turkey trot. I don't know if you've ever done that one before, but it's pretty It's solid. That's, As a car
1: I, yeah, that's this is what's on my list so yeah it's a four miler right
0: four four hard miles um well right on katie it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh yeah we'll make sure to link to all your social media in the show notes and um anything else that you want to leave the audience with before we go uh
1: no but i'm excited to meet more of the american crowd in, in the u.s next summer